you are this country's first openly gay prime minister. How big a deal is this for you personally? Brexit process. U.S. investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed. I said this was a once-in-a-generation vote. global financial crisis. But I believe we have voted today for the next generation. Don't be rude. Ireland has spoken with a clear, strong voice. I think I should stop now and start again, because I don't think this is a good start of podcast in which we discuss current political events. My name is Shauna Bannon-Ward, and with me today we have Dr. Laura Callahan, a professor from the University of Limerick, and Dr. Tom Hickey, professor from Dublin City University. Today we're going to talk about the impeachment of Mr. Justice Seamus Wolfe, a newly elected Supreme Court judge in Ireland. Controversy arose when he attended the Iraq Disc Golf Society dinner during the COVID-19 pandemic. There's been a lot of backlash for his decision, especially from the public calling for his removal from the Supreme Court due to the lack of recognition of social distancing measures. From this event, there's also been a number of other issues that have arisen, and hopefully we'll talk about them today. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or find us on social media via at Dublin LPR or on our website, DublinLPR.ie. This podcast will also be aired on Swatch Radio on Navi Mumbai and Galway's Flirt FM. So welcome to the podcast, everyone. I just want to say thank you to both of our guests for taking time out of the busy schedules. And so I just want to say thank you to them. And we'll just pass along to them for an introduction so everyone gets to know them. Hi, my name is uh, Tom Hickey. I am interested in constitutional law. I work at the School of Law and Government at Dublin City University. Um, and my name is Laura Cahalan. I'm a lecturer in law at the University of Limerick. Um, my areas of interest are in constitutional law and in administrative law. Thank you to both of you. So I'll just go straight into the questions because it's a very interesting area and I know we could come at it from different angles. But today I think we'll just speak about how it could affect um, the administration of justice and the public's perception of the court system, along with the process of impeachment itself, because I think that's very interesting from an Irish perspective. So um, I've given a bit of information about the situation with Mr. Justice Seamus Wolfe, but I was just wondering what was the process um, of impeachment and accountability been like previously in Ireland for judges? Okay, so um, up until very recently in Ireland, we've effectively had no system at all for disciplining judges. Um, Luckily, just last year, we did pass uh, the Judicial Council Act 2019. Now, the thing is that a lot of sections have yet to be commenced because there's quite a lot of work to be done yet in terms of writing up a code for judicial conduct and ethics and providing guidelines around the investigation of complaints and around sanctions. But just for a second, we'll assume that um, that, that doesn't exist and, and go back to pre-2019. And essentially what you're left with then is the constitutional provision in Article 3541, which says that judges should not be removed except for stated misbehaviour or incapacity and on resolutions passed by the Dáil and the Shannon. So other than what we refer to as that nuclear option of actually removing a judge, there were no other options in terms of sanctions or in terms of um, other additional measures which could have been taken. Now I should qualify that by saying that there were two very small um, sections which could be applied to district court judges. They only allowed for the investigation of behaviour. Um, so normally it would be the court president um, which would organize, who would organise um, for an investigation to be carried out into the behaviour of a district court judge. But again, there was no possibility for sanctions. Um, and what this means is that any time there has been any question over the behaviour of a judge in the past, um, 
it means we've had no formal mechanism to investigate that behaviour and it means there was no formal steps which could be taken um, other than to potentially propose a removal motion for that judge. Um, and so in the sort of high profile instances that we've had on this issue, let's say in the Philip Sheedy episode from a number of years ago, in that case, there was a removal motion um, proposed um, or at least the government proposed that they were going to look at this issue. Um, but the judges in that case resigned before it ever made it to that stage in the Oireachtas. And in the case of Judge Brian Curtin, which was another case from 2006, in that case, the Joint Oireachtas Committee did actually set up the process to begin looking at the removal of the judge, but also he resigned before that process could be completed. So you're looking at a very difficult area in that it's it's unprecedented um, in that we've never actually gone ahead and removed a judge in Ireland. And because you've that difficulty um, in the middle where you've no sanctions, no official investigatory process, that makes that whole area very grey and very difficult. Dr Hickey, do you have anything to say on that question? Well, I, Laura has given a very comprehensive answer, Shauna. I, I mean, it's of course unprecedented. It's interesting, maybe worth noting that there is um, a, a, a tension, if you like, or an inconsistency between the impeachment provision for a president under Article 12 of the Constitution. In fact, the phrase and concept impeachment is used in that context, whereas while we colloquially use impeachment uh, under Article 35 for removal of judges, in fact, the phrase in the Constitution is removal of judges, not impeachment. That's the first point. And the second point, I suppose, is, as Laura says, you know, we don't know much about what Article 35, Section 1 means because there, of, because there has been no precedence. Uh, but, um, you know, loads of things are left open. For example, if the Oireachtas were to seek to impeach a judge, what would the standard of proof be? What evidence would be admissible? What processes would govern it? Um, um, what is the threshold of stated misbehaviour? Um, does the judge have a right to legal representation? All that stuff is left open by the Constitution. Now, an awful lot of it has been filled in by legislation and standing orders and so on, but still we don't know um, what counts as stated misbehaviour. Uh, in contrast, under Article 12 for impeachment of a president, some at least of those things are clarified by the text of the Constitution itself. I suppose I feel, and maybe this is kind of highlighted by this whole Seamus Wolf episode, that um, that's probably a shortcoming, um, in my view at least, in Article 35 of the Constitution, that there should be a little more precision and a little more comprehensiveness around how such a process ought to be carried out, etc. Yeah, and it's something that's been pointed out for a number of years, you know, in terms of the Constitutional Law Review Group and various Oireachtas committees looking at the Constitution. They have pointed out that glaring difference between the set procedures in Article 1210 in terms of the President and then the really vague sort of Article 3541, which really doesn't give any clue at all as to how any of this would would proceed. And again, that that standards, that idea of stated misbehaviour, the fact that we really don't have any idea what that should mean or you know, what sort of behaviour should come under that. And it's something that you know, a number of academics have written about for a number of years, but it's never really been a problem up until now when we've had an issue where people are asking, actually, is the behaviour in this case really what is intended under Article 3541? And I suppose the answer to that then really is that that is a political question. And that is something which is up to the Oireachtas to decide because they are the ones 
who are essentially given this role under the constitution to decide whether or not to remove a judge. And so at the end of the day, they are the ones who would have to decide whether any particular behaviour complained of would constitute state misbehaviour. And you could you could argue, following on from that, you know, I, that it's problematic from the point of view of judicial independence. Not so much. I mean, people have different views, um, or at least I think people have different views as to whether um, the wolf conduct um, considered cumulatively comes close to the threshold. I myself don't think that it does. But I mean, as Laura says, it's kind of a political view. There's no there's no legal standard as such. That just is my sense. Um, uh, now, but the fact that there is no um, comprehensiveness in Article 35.4.1 or no clarity or whatever, um, and it's so open-ended, that is to say that the houses of the Oireachtas can, can remove a judge by resolution, by majority vote, if you like. And given the extent to which under our system, government tends normally to control the Oireachtas, it could be that a hostile government, that is a government that's hostile to a particular judge, would, could <laughs> remove a judge Pretty easily, perhaps, were it not for the conventions in place around that say, you know, well, we shouldn't use this, as Laura calls it, a nuclear option. We shouldn't use it too often, if at all, or hardly ever. In other words, if it weren't for that convention, um, then it might be problematic from the point of view of judicial independence because judges could be removed or intimidated um, more easily than ought to be the case, let's say. So I, I suppose I think that it is maybe problematic from the point of view of judicial independence. Yeah, and I suppose one obvious thing that, um, you know, we should be looking at here is um, that we need to be very careful now in terms of the code of conduct that's going to be drafted, because I think in future, um, we're not really going to get to this stage where people will be really confused about whether or not behaviour constitutes the the constitutional standard of removal or not, because of the fact that the Judicial Council is going to publish um, in the next year a, a guide to judicial conduct and ethics. And that guide should give us a fair idea of what sort of conduct is expected of judges and what sort of conduct is unbefitting a judge. And I think that will give us a greater read then on what kind of behaviour we might expect to end up before um, an Oireachtas looking at a removal uh, provision. Whereas, at, you know, at the moment, because we don't have that guidance, it makes it a lot more difficult. And even if you take the sort of um, standards from other countries, they tend, they tend to use something like a public confidence yardstick or a fitness for office yardstick. And they ask things like, um, you know, has the judge's conduct damaged public confidence in the administration of justice? Or does the conduct of the judge mean the judge is now unfit to hold office? But those are still pretty subjective standards and you can argue them both ways. So having something like a code of conduct where it is actually set out, this is what is expected of a judge and this is conduct which is um, unbecoming, um, then that will make it much easier to going forward on this issue. And it does actually, indeed, without any change to the constitution. Sorry, Sean. No, no, go ahead. That, 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 even though it's a code of a judicial council, uh, sorry, is it a judicial conduct committee, uh, Laura, um, would really counteract the threat of, uh, as it were, a hostile government um, because it would take a great deal of, you know, political capital to, first of all, do away with such a code and then later to uh, go further and undermine the independence of the judiciary, if you like. So indeed, exactly, yeah. yeah. And it, what it, the, I mean, what the procedures mean now as well is that 
anyone can make a complaint about a judge when, when this process is set up. So anyone can make a complaint and that complaint can be investigated and there are fair procedures built in at every stage of that process and there is appeal mechanisms built in. So you have this really official process that will be undergone before you could ever even consider the removal of a judge. So that's why this has been so crucial that we have actually gotten to the stage of having complaints mechanisms and having these investigation sort of mechanisms before you would ever get to that nuclear stage. And that's why we have such a problem now, because we, we don't have those, um, those stages officially in place yet. And that's why we've kind of skipped a whole level and gone straight to the Arachthus area. And that's what makes it all so difficult. I have a question then. You both mentioned about um, Seamus Wolf's coat, like conduct himself and his judgment. And I think from a public's perspective, people are questioning whether they can rely on his judgment in the situation. Um, and I was wondering then, could his actions potentially affect his judgment as a Supreme Court judge? And is there, is there any possibility that it could impede the administration of justice then? Uh, well, I could see, I suppose, Shauna, um, how it could well be the case over the next two years, four years, that there would be challenges of different kinds to, for example, you know, some of the coronavirus regulations or indeed legislation on constitutional or other grounds. And, you know, if you're a litigant um, before the court on such a question, you might feel that in light of everything that um, Judge Wolf would be in some sense compromised. It could be that he would have to recuse himself. It could be that the Chief Justice of the day would decide not to select him on the panel that would hear the case, I guess. Now, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't see that as, as, as majorly problematic. I think that there are all kinds of ways around that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I don't have a dog in the fight, but like, I feel like if I were in that fight that I wouldn't feel necessarily there's any grounds for thinking that Seamus Wolf would be impartial would not be impartial or whatever, you know, so, so does it have, you know, and then of course, I suppose it's, a, it's, again, it's a political question as to whether or not he has undermined the confidence of the public in the judiciary. I mean, I suppose you'd have to ask the public um, uh, as a member of the public. Um, I don't see it as such. I think his conduct was highly inappropriate. I think um, how he dealt with issues, particularly the apology, even over a couple of days after the event and subsequently was deeply problematic. I think, you know, the attitude that was revealed through the publication of the transcript of the Denim um, review and so on suggests that his attitude is, with respect to this particular episode, dubious, let's say. So, you know, all of those things. But do I think that it undermines him? Um, fundamentally or undermines the reputation of the court fundamentally. I think it damages the court a little bit, but that court has a great deal of credit in the bank. That's how I'd see it over the decades. Um, and this chief justice and these judges, in fact, um, have a great deal of credit in the bank. Um, the public have great faith, it seems, in the court, in the administration of justice in this country. Ireland scores really highly on rule of law indexes of different kinds and so on. So I would, I would, I would see this as a... Um, a little glitch, really. Uh, that's how I see it. Other people disagree. Other people say think it's much more serious. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole episode has certainly damaged 
the public's perception of the judiciary in general, the Supreme Court in particular. Um, but as Tom says, and that was a nice phrase, that they have a lot of credit in the bank. I think, um, you know, our judges are highly respected. So I think the Supreme Court in general are, are going to recover pretty easily from this. But as Tom says, I think what you will see quite a lot of, um, particularly at the beginning, is you will have a lot of litigants trying to bring up this issue, um, potentially trying to challenge um, the validity of Mr. Justice Wolf in sitting over their case. Um, you'll probably have them throwing back the transcripts and even the, the correspondence with the Chief Justice back at the Supreme Court arguing, you know, why is this judge sitting here if even you didn't have confidence in him? So I can see this issue is going to be brought up a lot. Um, you know, lay litigants in particular tend to, you know, try and rely on these sorts of issues. So it's certainly something that's going to come up and it will be interesting to see how the Supreme Court deals with it. Um, but as Tom says, I don't think it's insurmountable. The question then, because you've both mentioned um, about it being a political argument and bringing in the Oireachtas into this. And obviously, um, when it comes to impeachment, that's an important aspect of it currently in Irish law. But we, you've also mentioned that the Irish court system has credit in the bank, as you've put it. Um, what is your then perspective, your legal perspective, really, on the separation of the judiciary and the um, more political aspects of the Irish government. I know um, it's been accepted that the Oireachtas golf dinner um, wasn't political in nature because um, Seamus Wolf said he believed it would um, be past politicians and it would have been more of like a, a friendly nature to it than a political um, nature to it. So what is then, what can be said then about the separation between the courts and the government? Yeah, I think this whole episode has highlighted a number of different issues around the separation of powers. Um, I mean, on that issue that you mentioned there, it's true Susan Denham didn't see it as an issue uh, when she was um, carrying out her report, the fact that you would have a, a sitting Supreme Court judge going to a social event with politicians. Um, personally, I would question that view. I think it's inappropriate for a sitting judge to be going to social events with politicians. And I know the whole idea was that it was supposed to be an event event um, for politicians' families and, as you say, there were a lot of uh, previous politicians. There were also a lot of sitting um, TDs and senators there. And I think even just from a public perception point of view, um, that doesn't look good. And you do see it in the codes of conduct of judiciaries all around the world. You'll see that being made very clear, that judges have to avoid any perception of bias. There doesn't have to be actual bias, but they have to avoid any perception of bias, and especially in the political arena. So something like that, I think, is very inadvisable. And I can certainly see that being written into a future code of conduct um, here in this jurisdiction. Um, but there are so many other separation of powers issues around this whole area. I mean, from the very beginning, um, we saw the political branches trying to wash their hands of this issue and trying to say, you know, this is up to the judges. They can sort it out amongst themselves. We don't want to get involved, um, which really was a strange position to take when actually it is up to the Oireachtas to decide whether or not to remove a judge. So trying to say that, you know, this has landed in our lap and this has nothing to do with us is actually very unfair. And it was pretty unfair on the judiciary as well, I think. Um, and I think a lot of politicians were very nervous when it actually 
did fall into their laps and it looked like they they might and they still potentially might have to vote um, on a removal motion. And I think it's simply the fact that it is unprecedented. And because there are so many potential um, difficulties in terms of challenges which could be taken and so on, I think the politicians are very, very nervous around this. But you can't get away from the fact that the Constitution actually does give this role to them. It is up to the Arachthus, um to remove a judge. But again, the separation of powers has raised its head in relation to um, the judicial appointments area as well, and also in relation to uh, judicial accountability. And the government seemed to be relying on the idea of the separation of powers as a sort of an excuse to avoid answering questions on anything to do with this issue, be it removal or um, or on the, uh, on the appointments procedure itself, which um, is a dangerous sort of an approach to put out there because obviously we know that the separation of powers doesn't mean that you know that the three bodies are completely separate and distinct from each other actually they are supposed to act as supervisory bodies on each other they are supposed to act as checks on each other and that means that if there is any suspicion that something has gone wrong and that proper procedures haven't been followed that it is the duty of the others to make sure that constitutional duties are followed properly so I think you could carve a whole module on the separation of powers out of this wolf episode. I agree on the I was surprised too I must say I thought that the denim report was very well considered. Um, the, the one, I suppose one thing that did surprise me from the Denham report was her expression. Now, Laura will recall exactly the, I, I don't recall the phrases used um, as well as I'd like to right now, but that she did not see, if I recall, correct me, Laura, if I have this wrong, did not see any problem as such from a separation of powers perspective with Judge Wolf having been appointed uh, to the Supreme Court, fraternising with uh, legislators and indeed members of the executive or a member of the executive in the way that he was down in Clifton. Now, look, it's not like I think it's a, a breach of the separation of powers, really, as such. But it, it, what I, I'd say, it, it just kind of tends to be problematic from the point of view of the separation of powers. I'd agree very much um, with Laura on that point. It, it seems that, you know, once you're appointed to the bench, life gets lonelier for you you know and I've probably you know within the jobs we're in we talk to judges and you know you hear them say that um even fraternizing with senior counsel can be not so much off limits entirely but it's just not the same thing anymore you just have to take a step back uh, th- that's I guess part of the job and it's kind of important from the point of view as Laura says not just of the administration of justice but from the perception that the public have that they would have confidence in the administration of justice and I thought actually I remember that week um, when the episode first blew up that was what struck me that was what I was thinking at the time insofar as I was thinking about how the colleagues on the Supreme Court including, including the Chief Justice would be thinking about this whole thing you know that the, the very presence down there was poor judgment, in my view, aside altogether from the pandemic. And then I just have one final question, I suppose, to wrap up this topic. As we said, there's many different um, approaches you could take to discussing it. But again, moving forward, I suppose, but like, what would be the possible arguments that could be used or made um, to impeach Mr. Justice Wolf? Right. Well, it looks like there is going to be a motion tabled um, this week, I think, um, Paul Murphy, the Rise TD and, and um, Breed Smith are looking at tabling a removal motion. Um, and 
you know, it looks like what they're going to try and use is the words of the Chief Justice in his correspondence, that it's the cumulative effect of the behaviour. So you've had a number of people coming out saying, look, attending a dinner is not enough to impeach a judge. Um, but I think what they're going to try and do is take the approach that it's, it's much more than um, simply the attendance of the dinner. And it's more about um, the conduct of the judge after in how he approached the issue. Um, and in terms of his temperament, his refusal to apologize, his refusal to see anything wrong in the first place. Um, and again, I mean, they're going to bring this issue up in the Arachthus, um, potentially using one of those yardsticks which are used internationally around damaging public confidence in, in the administration of justice and so on. But the thing is, because the government has indicated that they aren't interested in pursuing this issue, it doesn't look like the motion is going to get uh, very much support. So while I think it's likely that we're going to see this motion, and it will be interesting from a, you know, from the perspective of precedent, at least to look at how that will work and, you know, to look at whether or not there will be a debate on it, um, it doesn't look like it's going to go much further. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I did, because we're teaching classes on Zoom these days, I did opinion polls with my students, uh, and I have lots of them, like so 300 and something constitutional law students, in two groups, you know, and did them, uh, asking them whether they felt A, he should resign, and if, you know, B, he should be impeached. Now, this was kind of two, a week ago, 10 days ago, when it was very much possible that he would, it looks impossible now that, he, uh, that he'd be actually impeached, even though, as Laura says, the two parliamentarians are bringing a motion this week. Uh, and, you know, at the start of the lecture, uh, there, was, there was very high support um, for his having to resign, feeling that he should resign, and also a similar level of support, feeling that he should be impeached. Now, uh, and, uh, you know, I have to say at the end of the class, after we discussed it and the implications and so on, and of course I'm conscious that I would have had these are first-year students and I would have perhaps been influencing them too much, you know, I would try to avoid that. But it, things change quite a bit and the level of support for impeachment, whatever about resigning, resignation, the level of support, public support for impeachment, the support for impeachment was down considerably. In fact, it started at 70-30 in favour and ended at 20-80, 80 against. So it was quite a change. Anyway, as Laura says, if he's to be impeached, and I don't think it's really a runner at this stage because of the reaction of the main opposition parties as well as the main government parties, uh, it would be uh, in, in light of that notion that the public has lost faith or lost confidence in him, right? So um, uh, as for the cumulative effect point, indeed, right, that surely would be, and it was very critical to Frank Clark, the Chief Justice's um, um, views expressed in his correspondence to Seamus Wolfe in that letter, that it wasn't, as Laura says, just the conduct, but the, the after the conduct as well, his reaction, and the cumulative effect was such. Now, the only thing I'd say on that is you could argue that part of, and a good part of, the uh, conduct, if you like, that was problematic, aside from the attendance at the dinner itself, was the attitude maybe um, expressed in the meeting with Denham. Now, as I understand it, Seamus Wolfe was of the understanding himself in that meeting that that was a confidential meeting. In other words, he did express, to my mind, problematic attitudes in that meeting, including expressing certain views on how the Taoiseach of the day, you know, had reacted, which is problematic from the point of view of separation of powers and so on. But Seamus Wolfe understood that this was a confidential meeting. Later, the transcript of that interview was published. Admittedly, Seamus Wolfe agreed to its publication, which is really surprising. And then, if you like, 
to, to, to deem that to be part of the, and a critical part of the overall conduct, which taken in the overall was such as to count as stated misbehavior is to my mind a bit problematic because it wasn't really Seamus Wolfe's behavior to publish the transcript. I think we should maybe wrap up there. I don't know if you can see if there's a timer on this. Um, but if you have anything else to say then, just to finish up. Well, I, I suppose I'd say, um, Shauna, I mean, there was lots of debates um, in the academic community, among the academic constitutional lawyers about this. And one view that I expressed was that it would be a convenient precedent down the line for, if you like, um, um, a, a populist or a strongman leader to have this as an impeachment, as, as, as representing stated misbehaviour. In other words, if in 10 or 20 years' time a strongman authoritarian leader wanted to impeach a judge who was making decisions that were not favourable to him or to his government, that he could um, use his majority in the Oireachtas or her majority in the Oireachtas to bring about impeachment proceedings. Now, look, one, one clarification on that. It's not at all as though, I think, had Wolf been impeached, that that would precipitate some kind of an authoritarian democratic decline. Not at all. That would be an isolated event. I think there's a case to be made, maybe broadly. You can probably gather from me that I think it's, to my mind, it's, it's way off the standard of state, state of misbehavior. But it would be a useful or convenient precedent. I suppose that's my point in that event. Mm. I'd be less worried about that, really, because I think, first of all, if you did have that authoritarian, um, they wouldn't need the precedent anyway. and <laughs> They would probably just go ahead and, and do whatever they want to do. Um, but also, I think the fact that we will have that really crucial, important mechanism which will come into play once those provisions of the Judicial Council are uh, commenced, I think that will be really important because it would be almost impossible to impeach a judge without having first gone through all of that. Uh, procedure under the Judicial Council first. So I think that will be a, a very important safeguard into the future. But I think maybe what this episode does show us is the danger in failing to implement really important reforms, such as that of the Judicial Council. We were waiting 20 years for that. And if that had been implemented quicker, then we could have avoided quite a lot of this mess. So I'm hoping that lessons are now going to be learned on this issue in relation to judicial appointments as well, and that hopefully this issue will be looked at and will be reformed very quickly. Well, I, I think that's it then. If you um, have any information about where the listeners can hear more from you, social media channels or books or articles... I think Twitter is probably the easiest place to get both of us and you can see all the debates which are ongoing there. Laura and I are of a certain generation, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you're on Insta, Laura, my wife's on Insta, maybe you're on Insta, but uh, I'm not, I'm on Twitter, <laughs> so Twitter is probably the place to go. I've got a new YouTube channel, actually, for my constitutional law classes, which I'm uh, kind of excited about as well, actually. <laughs> so, well, we'll have to check yeah. you out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there you go. Do you want to link your handles or say your handles or your YouTube channel's name? Yeah. I'm at Lorca on Twitter, L-A-U-R-C-A-H. I'm at Tom Hickey DCU on Twitter. That's great. Thank you so much to both of you for taking time out of your schedules to come speak to us and our listeners. So I'll just thank you again and say goodbye to our listeners there. Thanks so much, Shauna. Thanks, Shauna. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast on the topic of the impeachment of Mr. Justice Seamus Wolfe. 
If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or find us on social media via at Dublin LPR. Comments, questions and suggestions are very welcome via contact at DublinLPR.ie. This was Shauna Bannon Ward and I wish you a very pleasant day. Thank you.